0: Listeners, it's your host Tao, and welcome back to another installment of Bites of the Roundtable. This week we'll be harnessing the magic of technology to kind of transport ourselves back in time, to say about uh, a month ago or a little bit more at Cheese 2019. If you don't know what cheese is, let me explain it super simple. It's a biennial global celebration of all things related to cheese hosted in the small city of Bra and attended by thousands. No worries though if you're lactose intolerant, allergic, or even vegan. There are lots of other delicious opportunities for you to get acquainted with gastronomic delights from all over the world. Content warning, if you're veg or vegan and not comfortable with hearing about meat-related escapades, this episode might not be for you. However, you can check out the first episode if you haven't heard it yet. It's all about pizza. If this is no issue for you, feel free to listen on. Although I am the host of Bites of the Roundtable, there are other contributors to the podcast as well. One of them is my dear friend Bruce McMichael, a food writer from the UK. He's been praised as one of the UK's top foodie bloggers. Check out his work and other projects at thelemongrove.net. That's thelemongrove.net. Today, he'll be taking over the show to tell us about British chef and goat wrangler James Wetler. James's working life is spent talking, writing, cooking and educating others on how to appreciate the taste and versatility of goat meat. I'm not too familiar with goats, so I've enlisted the help of a few other gastronomes to kind of explain them to me. What do you call a male goat?
1: Carnero, ram.
0: Is it like a ooh, a ram? No. Yeah, okay. That's like a Let's go with a ram, even though I'm pretty sure that's
1: like a sheep. The word for goat is capra, but I've heard uh, caprino. But I think that's like a, uh, like a baby goat. Oh. But mostly, I've mainly heard that word in the context of like food. Oh, like goat <laughs> okay. meat. That took a turn. T- 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 yeah, no, it's like it's like veal, right? Okay. It means ba- basically means baby cow, but. It's <laughs> true. You know. In uh, informally in many countries we say chivo. The actual word is cabra, which is goat, but informally we say chivo. Name for a
0: male goat, that's tricky, because I know a kid is a baby goat, but I don't know what a male and a female goat are. But like in sheep, it's you and ram, so is it a ram? Is a goat just an asshole sheep? I don't know.
1: Un um, montone. Um, goaty.
0: What sound does a male goat make?
1: They make the most awful sounds that I don't want to repeat right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I know that for a fact, because I've seen goats, and they're just assholes that headbutt you and go, mmm. Listeners, did you know that male goats, otherwise known as billy goats, are normally slaughtered soon after birth because they're not needed in the dairy food chain? I had no clue about this, and neither did James Wettler. After leaving his job as a chef in London, James headed to the rural west of England where he became aware of this very pressing issue, and he vowed to make a difference. Now, a few years later, James has written a best-selling book called Goat. There it is pal, straight to the point. The book is called Goat, and it's by James Wettler. James also helped found the global movement Goattober, and started his own company named Cabrito, which sells goat meat to many of London's Top restaurants now. We're going to hand over the mic to Bruce who caught up with James the day after he cooked a Wonderfully goat centric dinner for about 70 people at the University of gastronomic sciences
1: Hi guys, this is Bruce here from the lemon grove. I'm here in Bra September 2019 and we're in the middle of this crazy place called slow cheese It's like 500 stalls here selling natural cheese and goes on for four days and it's very very delicious time and place to be. So what I'm doing now is sitting in the university tent, as you probably hear a lot of noise, there's a lot of people talking about the courses we're doing, uh, a lot of people interested in the university itself, and I have a special guest here today who actually cooked last night at the university, the Tavola Academica, the refectory there, so I'm looking forward to talking and getting to know him and understanding what drives him and why, what he's doing. So if I just introduce to, to you to James, he can tell you who he is and a little bit about himself. Hi James, welcome to Bra. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, my name's James. I own a goat meat company called
2: Cabrito in the UK, and we take the dairy billies that were previously euthanized and put them into the food system.
1: Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there, a lot to unpack so you were a chef first yeah i
2: was i was a chef in london for about 15 years i then i grew up in devon me and my partner moved back to where i grew up i got a job for river cottage and during that during that time uh we got a we were sort of donated this piece of land to sort of work on for a couple of years and um originally we were going to get pigs but next door the next door neighbors were trying to sell a the house and they said please don't get pigs because they're noisy and smelly and it, it will be a problem uh i'm not of, sure i'm not sure the pig farmers would agree no, but there, there's no, none of them no, here it's, it's not true it's at not, all it's not true at all so we thought okay what other animal has a reputation of being able to clear out land so we can use it. And obviously goats came to mind. Uh, there was a small uh, cheese maker called w- Will and Caroline Atkinson who made Storley cheese for Neil Dairy living about 20 miles away from us. I got in contact with them through a series of coincidences and it ended up that we had these four goats that we put onto this piece of land. Lenny, Luckily, what, what sort of goats were they? How did, how did you choose to kind of breed? Well, they, because we didn't really know anything about it at the time yeah. and uh, there was a sort of Anglo-Nubian Toggenberg um, crosses that because are uh, favoured by sort of small independent cheesemakers because they have a high butterfat content oh, okay. um, whereas the larger industrial dairies use silence because they produce a lot of white water with a high literage but low amounts of butterfat which isn't great for making cheese.
1: So, if- ha- so hang on you've just talked like uh, an absolute expert how I guess you said you didn't know anything before you joined totally, yeah, so yeah. you really had to steep learning curve.
2: Yeah well I think I think that's
1: uh, a character trait.
2: I find food really, I mean, I've been inv- There was a reason I, worked, I went to work at River Cottage, okay, because I care about and have always cared about the politics and the principles and the production of food. And that sort of, that the, the ideas that are, are pushed by River Cottage are very attractive to me. So I think being, and I'm interested in the world generally, I'm just like that as a person, so when you get into into a thing, like we had these goats, I wanna know more about these goats, and then Will had spoken to me about the problem that he was having with his male billy goats, and opened up this whole new thing for us, because we, and it still amazes me now, just how little connection people have with the food that they eat, that they do not make the link between dairy production pregnancy lactation male male offspring and inevitable euthanasia yes so that is and that's the story that we learned from will because will was absolutely adamant he was not going to euthanize any of his billies uh and he saw an opportunity in a
1: river cottage chef maybe to sort his problem out so you, you started cooking with preparing cooking with his billy goats And now you're cooking with your own? Well, we took those four goats for this land management problem. And eventually, because I was working river cottage, sort of come
2: September, October, I put them on the menu and they sold really well. And I thought, hang on a minute, it can't just be this small town in Devon that has a thirst for goat meat. Maybe we could get some more of these, help solve Will's problem. So I went back to Will and said, next year I'll take all of them. We found a farmer to rear them. And I mean, that was seven years ago. I don't cook full time anymore we now work with some of the large commercial dairy herds and we take about 30% of all the billies born in the UK and put them into the food system. So okay. it's gone from four goats
1: in a field to 30% of the billies in seven years. That's, that's a pretty staggering statistic. And I'm just wondering, what is it? I mean, did the British public not like goat? Have we got, have we ever liked goat in a big, in the kind of, we eat a lot of pork, a lot of chicken, a lot of beef. That what? is, well, That for me, it's a fascinating question. Yeah. And my,
2: the reason that these things are fascinating and, and the reason that part of the reason I have a hunger for finding them out is the influence of my partner who did the anthropology of food degree oh, at SOAS. Okay, so these, these, these things do have yes. in culture they have a reason. Yes. So and why does the UK have no cultural history of eating goat? The answer to that is the wool trade. Oh,
1: okay, okay. So
2: in the UK, at the in the early Middle Ages, yeah, UK yeah. started to started to export an awful lot of wool. Um, the thing about wool in a pre industrialised society is a perfect thing to to export because it it's really light. It's yeah. weight to value ratio is really low. So you could, a oh, really high sorry. So you could put a lot in a bag, you could put a lot on a cart, put a lot on a boat, and it would be really easy yeah, to transport, yeah. but really valuable. And that meant that it became monopoly capitalism in the okay, UK. Okay. Everyone anywhere yeah. that had any land at all put sheep on it yeah. rather than goats yeah. because you would get the milk and the meat, which you would also get from a goat, but the bonus of the fleece meant that right. sheep were favoured. So I'm from Axminster in Devon, which is okay. really famous for carpets. For carpets yeah. um, Aximus is also in the Doomsday book in 1087. Okay, in 1087 right, yeah. there are 20 goats in, really? in Axminster. <laughs> yeah. There's four sheep, six horses, really? and 20 slaves. Fast forward 200 years, all those goats have gone, and yeah. everybody is farming sheep because of the war. Because of the war right. So monopoly, capitalism, and sheep. You then fast forward about another 100 years, or 200 years, yeah. and the first cookbook in the English language is written, okay. called The Form of a Curry, okay. in 1397 and it was written for the court of Richard II okay. and there's one goat recipe in it okay. there's 50 sheep recipes in okay. it because the entire structure yeah. of farming is built up around sheep which means that's what you're eating because that's what there are okay. and it also when you introduce liter- liter- literacy into society yeah. the yeah. only people that are able to write and read are the rich yeah. and the rich are eating sheep because they're land wealthy landowning farmers and the poor are eating goats so any recipes that are in the world yeah, they just yeah, don't get exactly. written down so they vanish. Into the midst of time, and that is and that is a real structural yeah. thing that has excluded goat from the UK table
1: for 800 years. That's I'm really interested to hear that your partner was a student at SOAS, School of African uh, Oriental African Studies, because those sort of studies really make us rethink about our food systems, our food structure, our history of food, and where we are today. Because. I, maybe I thought that goats is quite a strong flavour. Quite a people have a love or hate with it. Yeah. Whereas, whereas lamb, people generally love it, generally like it with a bit of mince, a bit of mi- a bit of mince sauce. So I, so it's interesting that goat has never really been part of the British diet. And so, how are you finding? Obviously, you're finding people are, are interested in trying it. But well,
2: that's a self-reinforcing prophecy,
1: right? Yes. You right. know, you're yeah. you eat lamb as a kid. It's what you've always yeah.
2: learned. I mean, the, the thing about Thing about goats is it's completely misunderstood and there is an awful lot of cultural snobbery about goat as well because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's third world countries and brown people that eat goat and it's not posh white european people that eat goat and that is there are a lot of problems so, in food that's yeah, one so, of them you know so we, we we think it's not for us it's kind of alien and very other the thing about the thing about that is that is fine if there isn't any goat in the uk it doesn't really cause any problems when you've got 100,000 milking animals in the UK and you're euthanizing 80,000 animals a year it's a real problem so what we had to do was create a market for goat meat as well as build up the farming supply so we had to do both those things and the way that and it looks like you know, a very smart marketing yeah. but yeah. it wasn't. Well, okay. the, I knew the London restaurant industry because I'd worked in yes, it yeah. and I thought if I can rear some of these animals, I know there are restaurants that will try it. Yeah, St yeah. John is a great example, yes. Great Queen Street, the Eagle, places that I have worked in or visited myself. Yes. So I knew that we thought that, as I said before, we could sell Will's 70 goats. We didn't think that I would do this full time. Yes, yeah. But there was a there was a an interest and hunger in it that is that goes beyond just the product itself. Firstly it's quite new to people. It's like Go to the first domesticated farm animal, it yeah, seems insane yeah. you're talking about introducing a new product to London, but that's what it felt like. Yes. <laughs> because nobody was really familiar with cooking it at all. But the real thing that made the difference, and this is I think what is great about the producer-chef relationship at the moment. Yeah, Chefs, this generation of chefs are so interested in sustainability. It's baked into who they are, yes, you know? Yes. So you go to them and say, you've got cheese on your menu, The, the down the line, the consequences of you buying that cheese is that this animal gets killed. You should yes, have this yes, on your menu. Yeah. Plus, it's delicious. Yeah. So the, the the story and the ethics has helped sell it, but also the product's delicious. And it and when you've got that sort of base market there and you're starting to sell goats and it's going quite well, the farmers at the other end notice. And farmers are canny yes, and they're yes, hardworking. Yes, yes. And they yeah. say, hang on a minute, we say one of the biggest farms we work with has got 2,500 milking Nellies. Wow. So he's amazing. Okay anywhere between 1,500 and 2,000 goats a year, that he could rear up and sell at a 30% margin. That is a real economic incentive for them to do it. So you've got this pull factor at one end, which is saying there's demand in the market because people want to chefs want to push themselves. Chef wants to, chefs want to make their, their more interesting menus. Yeah. They want to reflect the fact that they're interested in sustainability. It kind of feeds into those restaurant uh, and chef sort of characteristics that they want, to, they want to show the world they care about these things. And then you've got the push factor at the other end, which is these chef, these, these farmers saying, yeah. Yeah. we know this is a terrible thing to do. And we don't want to, want to euthanize to yeah. these billies. But, and this is where it gets, I think, quite complex and and it's worth digging into it a little bit. Farmers, it's very easy in that situation to say, we're going to blame the farmers because they're the one doing yeah. the deed. Yes, yes. But it's not the it's farmer's fault. We're all responsible for the food system we have. We buy the cheese. We live happily in the naivety that these animals are getting killed. We don't know anything about it. No one talks about it. It's a murder, you know, a conspiracy yes, 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 of silence. Yes, yes. And uh, so you've got to... You've got to look beyond the obvious fact of blaming the farmer and saying, hang on a minute, this is all of our fault. We're, we're not taking responsibility for the food system. But the, So the farmers have seen this opportunity of A, not doing something which is really depressing, euthanizing yeah, these perfectly yes, healthy yeah. animals. Farmers don't get into farming to euthanise animals, no, they no, get no. into farmers to. Uh, uh, so, livestock yeah. farmers want to produce good animals, healthy, fit, you know. And that, so they're they want to do this thing they but they can't because there was a market we've pressed market so now there's this push from the farmers and there's the pull of the demand and uh, we've kind of
1: created the market and capitalism is doing what it does so you mentioned at the end there, you've created this the market one of the things you've done is written this beautiful book goats yes okay i mean i've i've worked with various authors in the past and my god it takes a lot of work and effort what was it how did you find writing the book and can you just give us can you give us a kind of couple of recipes we might look out for in the book sure yeah well first of all I think
2: that um, I wrote the book I run the business but like yes, in the background yes, yeah. of all of that is yeah. is the fact that my partner went to Soas okay, so yeah. you you look at the product and, the, and running the business but then beyond that you look at the story behind it as I just explained yes, all that stuff yes, yeah. because like so her influence is kind of in the book and also approaching it not just from a recipe point of view but from a slightly I don't want to over play my hand yes, but there yes. is a like a an academic but, method behind it. Yes. You are looking at the history and the culture and why 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 we are where we are with goat uh, and who eats it in the world and why and what are goats doing now in the world and how are they a positive effect on humanity and what is the future and what else do we what else can we get out of goats? We have a company that makes the leather from okay, our yes, from okay. our from our skins. skins you know, yes, trying yes, to yeah. trying to get the whole trying to look at it in a really the holistic whole, way. You know, and that so that is and that is the influence of my partner and okay. and Harry West who's the director of the of the anthropology of food degree it's hit, okay. I interviewed him for. The book yes. um, just to get some sort of cultural background make sure I was talking about so
1: no, you've got th- a lot of good collaborators with the book so it's yeah, really interesting. Sure. Yeah. and you know
2: and, and in the end it I mean my experience of writing the book is it's project management yes, rather yes, than okay, authorship okay. you know you're just saying we interviewed like because there are some there are some ethical questions around farming goats because a lot of the uh, commercial herds are kept indoors so I went to a small room in it especially called Marguerite Grunsfeld. that's okay. a European specialist in goats and talked to her about the ethics and the and the animal welfare side uh, we talked to some farmers we talked to uh, some Farm
1: Africa people who are doing amazing work throughout Central Africa with goats and how they're working in today's world because some of some of the, the uh, income or revenue from the book is going to the charity Farm Africa yeah half of it half
2: of, ha- it. Half of, the, half of my fee and half of the uh, and half of the revenue from the, the royalties go to okay, Farm Africa really, to support okay. those projects yeah, yeah. because they are a they are a, a reflection of Humans and goats have this long shared history, as I said, first first domesticated farm animal, and and th- and they've always had a really constructive partnership. And we forget that in the West yes, yes, because yes. we've shuffled them out of our food system. Whereas across Central Africa, they're making real impacts into into the health and well fit well being, not just of the people, but of the wider societies. And that I think is a really important context for how valuable they are in parts of the world, set yeah, against yeah. how how wasteful we are with them by just knocking them and throwing them in the bin. So. So you're writing the book. I felt because goat was so misunderstood. It felt to me is so misunderstood. It felt to me like all that context is required. Otherwise, yeah. why the hell am I buying a book with 90 goat recipes in it? You know, <laughs> yes, and yeah. why why
1: don't I know goat what you know? It basically tries to answer all the questions. And just unfortunately, we probably have to wrap up fairly soon. But I'm just one last question. Goattober, which is an important part of the yes. the, the culinary calendar now. Could you could you just say a few words about how that's kind of developing yeah. and what what's what it what it is goat's toba? well it's a month-long celebration of
2: goat meat and it started four years ago with one uh, event in a pub in central London and now we have nine countries all over uh, the world yeah, because yeah. wherever there are goat dairies there are goats with about where male goats with a very poor prognosis and everybody does everybody involved in goat doesn't want that to happen no. but also there are it, 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 what we've tried to do with it is make it as useful to a single a, a single herd Smallholder in Vermont, okay, as it yes, is yeah. for a large organisation like Meat and Livestock Australia, okay, just yes. to encourage people to try goat meat, just to uh, uh, to, to publicise it and to get people to give it. Get, get chefs to put it on their menu for a month. Give it a try, which means chefs can try cooking with it. Hunters can try and, try and eat it for the first time. And just popularise it as a meat in the West to end the waste of the billy goats in the
1: food system. That's fantastic. So if people want to firstly buy goat, where could they get that? And where would they log on or Google to find a bit more about Toba Well, there's gotober.com, okay. which is uh, which is the standalone Goattober website.
2: And then my website is cabrito.co.uk. So those are your two main places to go for all your goat
1: news (laughs) goat news get it here first (laughs) brilliant James thank you really that's fantastic thank you very much we're we're in like I said at the beginning we're in the Eunice tent and uh, you can hear lots of excited voices here cheese 2019 but I just really appreciate James taking a few minutes out to talk to us Um, good luck James have a fantastic show and I'm looking forward to eating 90 different recipes of goat great thanks for having me thanks a lot
0: listeners, it's your host Tao. Thank you so much for tuning in to the second episode of Bites of the Round Table. It really means the world to us. We hope you enjoyed these sound bites from gastronomes from all over the world. Much thanks to Bruce McMichael and James Wettler, as well as the Eunice Communications Office for their support. Much love to Aaron, on both Giovanni's, Anna, Athena, and dearest Ahmed for sharing their thoughts and stories all about goats. Remember, listeners, if it's life and death, and someone asks you what the difference between a goat and a sheep is, just say,
1: they're just assholes that headbutt you and go,